With that said, I hope you have your Bibles uh, handy there at home. Open them up to Psalm 34, Psalm 34, which contains our PowerPoint word for this month and year, and we'll look at that in detail this morning. Now, as we know, King David is the author of many of the Psalms, and he's referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel for that very reason. And many of his Psalms have an introductory portion that tells the circumstances surrounding the content that follows, and such is the case with Psalm 34, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But also, we need to highlight the fact that Psalm 34 is an acrostic, and what that means is that each sequential phrase divided into verses in our Bibles starts with the sequential letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and thus there are 22 letters in this, or 22 verses in this particular chapter, which is kind of a literary uh, masterpiece, if you will, and shows how the Spirit had inspired David uh, to author the Psalms that he penned. Now, the circumstances surrounding this psalm are found in 1 Samuel 21. And much of 1 Samuel is a record of David running for his life from King Saul. He is the one who God had ordained to replace King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David and sought to kill him time and again. And the various cat and mouse circumstances between the two men are recorded in the heart of 1 Samuel 21. Now, outside of the difficulties associated with constantly being on the run, constantly, constantly looking over his shoulder, David also found himself in some situations that added to his already complicated life. And this is the case of Psalm 34. David had fled from Saul to the Philistine capital city of Gath, the hometown of Goliath, whom he had killed as a young teenage boy. He was thinking he could hide out amongst the Philistines and Saul would never go there looking for him or pursue him into Philistine territories. But he was recognized and in order to escape with his life, he had to act like he was crazy. Now, David had his circumstances forced upon him. God had called him a man after his own heart. There was a song sung about him that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And from that day forward, after David had won a great victory and the young women of Israel sang that song, 1 Samuel says, from that day forward, Saul had his eye on David. David had done nothing wrong. He was a, a patriot for the country. He was loyal to King Saul. And yet he had circumstances forced upon him, much like we have had circumstances forced upon us. And like when David feigned madness, some people today are feeling like the shutdown is driving them mad. Stress levels are high. Finances are tight. The future, at least the immediate future for some, is unclear. But interestingly, outside of the fear that David mentions uh, in this text and that he experienced in the city of Gath, he says nothing else about the circumstances surrounding the content of this psalm. Now, the psalm is introduced like this. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. That's the introductory statement of the psalm and then the verses begin. And therefore, David writes this psalm not focused on the magnitude of the difficulty that he was facing or the circumstance he was in, 
but he spent his time focusing on the greatness of God who is worthy of all praise. That's where you say amen this morning. Now in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul tells us to be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Then Hebrews 13, 15 reminds us, therefore by him, speaking of Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We have to live in a continual state of thanks as those bought back from the law of sin and death by the blood of Jesus Christ, through which he has made us righteous. Now, I think most of us have heard the saying that fruit grows in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And listen, it's easy to praise God on the mountaintop times of life, when things are good, when temporal blessings and material blessings are flowing and our health is strong and unthreatened. But I submit to you today that praise from the valley is a sweet aroma to God because it involves and even requires trust. And this Psalm of David, which reflects back on a time where the threat of death from King Saul had now been joined with being recognized while hiding in Philistine territory among the sworn enemies of Israel. And yet this Psalm is filled with praise toward, recognition of, and an exhortation to trust in the true and living God. And thus when we combine David's circumstance with the content of the psalm, we can come through this text and this time as a learning experience, uh, including what we're currently going through. And our title this morning is Trials, Trust, and Triumph. Trials, Trust, and Triumph is our title. And our title is actually an equation because trials are going to come. In this life, we're going to have tribulations. We are going to experience trials. And when they come and we trust in the Lord, the end result is going to be triumph over them, including the efforts of the enemy who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So let's learn from David as he mentions one of the most fearful experiences of his own life and then says nothing else about it except God was faithful to get him through it. So we're going to read the whole of the psalm throughout our time together, but we'll start with verses 1 through 10. Now, as our custom is here in the church, you can stand at home if you like and read along. Psalm 34, 1 through 10, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Lord, we thank you for these exceedingly great and precious promises. For what was true 
in David's life and for David is true in our lives and for us. So we pray, God, because of your unchanging nature and character that you would help us, Lord, to make our journey and finish this equation in each of our lives. And when trials come, we would trust you and live triumphantly in the midst of times such as these. We ask your aid in this and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, having introduced us to the events that surrounded the writing of this psalm, yet not a single detail being given about the specifics of what David encountered, he thus introduces to us what the heart of his uh, desire is in communicating in this psalm in verses 1 through 3, which is praising God at all times, even when you've been acting like a nut. And David says, I will bless the Lord and I will praise him even when I am in the worst possible situation I could ever be in, even when I'm in a Philistine city, even when I'm in the very home of Goliath and his family, even when I had to act like I was crazy in order to escape with my life, even then I will praise the Lord. Now, having drawn a backdrop for the reader, David says, join me in magnifying the Lord. Let us exalt his name together, you from your circumstances and me from mine. And in Psalm 145, 18 to 21, we're reminded that the Lord is near to all who call upon his name, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Now listen, we can't read verses like these and say, I wish that was true for me. It is true for you. Because our God is unchanging, as we mentioned a moment ago. And what was true there is true now. And therefore, we can expect to experience the same things. I hope you noted how many times in Psalm 145, the word all was used. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Are you blessing his name now? Are you blessing his name in the midst of all we're going through? David is encouraging us and inviting us to do just that. And he's using his circumstances that created fear in his life to do so and to offer the invitation. Back in 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 12, we're told that David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Listen, David's fear was real and circumstances had created that fear and the potential for his death was real. And yet he opens this psalm with praise and an invitation for us to join him in praising the Lord and blessing him at all times. And then David offers a trio of triads, if you will, about how our soul shall make its boast in the Lord and why the humble shall hear it and be glad. 
He says in the first triad of verse 4, he sought the divine response. God heard and delivered him from his fears. Now, please take note of what verse 4 says. He was delivered from his fears. That doesn't mean he was delivered from his circumstances. It means that God removed the fear that he was experiencing in the midst of his circumstances. Verse 5, he says that they, that would imply he and his men, which probably a portion of them at least went with him into Philistine territory. They looked to him and they were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And then in verse 6, he says, completing the trio of triads, triads, that he cried out. And again, he was heard and then he was saved from all of his troubles. And verse 7 is going to highlight a crucial aspect of these triads. And that is that the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, the fact that encamping and delivering are mentioned within the same context, that tells us there can be a span of time between God hearing and God delivering. Otherwise, there'd be no need for the angels to encamp around us in a protective formation. There's a time span between God hearing and God saving from all troubles many times. And in between the hearing and delivering and saving from all troubles, we need to look to him and we need to continue to trust him. Now, here's a key to remember in times of trial of the importance of trust and how it leads to triumph. And again, this is a bit of a formula that will enable us to get to that place of living in triumph, even in the midst of fearful times and difficulty. Listen, we should praise God for who he is, not just what he does. We should praise God for who he is, not just what he does. Now listen, I am sure that David would have rather not have been in fear of his life. I'm sure that all of us would rather not be in the circumstances that we are in. I am sure that we have all had times in life where we wish things were different and God had not allowed this or that. But listen, our praise of God is not circumstance related. It is related strictly to his character and nature and his greatness and his awesomeness and power. And we praise him because he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. We praise him because he is omniscient. He knows all. We praise him because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We praise him because he sent his son into the world to die for your sins and mine. That's why we praise God. We praise God for who he is. We praise him for his unchanging nature. We praise him for his perfect character. And listen, there are times when we can't see God moving. We're in one right now as a church. We have 45 days to vacate this property. And at this point in time, we have nowhere to go. Well, do we wait to praise God until we have a building? No, we praise him now. Do we wait to praise God when the shutdown ends? No, we praise him now. Do we praise him when things return to normal? No, we praise him now. Because his worthiness is completely unrelated to our circumstances. And therefore, we can bless the Lord now, which is an expression of trust. And his praise can continually be in our mouth. I wish I could hear you say amen out there, because you should be right now. Now listen, David says, taste and see, experience the goodness of God, and that he is good. A blessed person is one who trusts God and fears the Lord. Fear in this meaning uh, reverent trust or awe and trust. 
And David illustrates that a lion may suffer hunger, but in contrast, those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Now again, we need to pause for a moment because God's definition of good isn't necessarily or always the same as ours. Remember the rich young ruler? There's a lot of people who think material blessings are good, and there's nothing wrong with them, to be sure. But remember the rich young ruler? Jesus said, when this man reported that he had kept the whole law since his youth, Jesus said, this one thing you lack. Not everybody lacks, but you lack, young man. This thing you lack. Go sell all you have and give your goods to the poor. Now, that's not a directive to every human being. That's a directive to this young man because it was hindering his ability to follow after Jesus. And that's what the Lord said to him. Get rid of your stuff and follow me. Listen, the Holy Spirit told Paul that chains awaited him in every city. And I don't think Paul enjoyed the chains per se, even though he saw that his chains had actually worked out for a furtherance of the gospel. Now listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 5 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Now, I'm sure that I am not alone in saying I have never seen trials as a necessity. They've all been unwanted and they've always been inconvenient. And I'm sure you would agree on your end as well. But without them, the preciousness of our faith cannot be tested and therefore lead to trust-based praise. Now, God didn't order this shutdown, but he is with us in it. His angels are encamped all about us. As Hebrews tells us, they are ministering spirits to minister to those who would inherit salvation. Now, he will deliver us from being dominated by fear and save us from all of our troubles, even as the circumstances at this point in time remain unchanged. So listen, now is the time to praise the Lord and let this trial lead to trust, which will yield living triumphantly. Now let's move on since we've got a lot of verses to cover and look at verses 11 through 17 as David continues his invitation. Now he says, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. That's that, there's that word again, all. Now, after the invitation to come and learn of the importance of the fear of the Lord, David then says, who desires life and many good days? Now, Psalm 90, 10 and 12 says, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. 
So teach us to number our days, meaning make every day count, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now David's inquiry is not about a quantity of days, but rather a quality of days. And we could paraphrase what David is saying as who wants to see the goodness of God in their lives, no matter how many days the Lord may give you. And King David then says, the fear of the Lord will manifest itself in three portions of our life, in our mouth, in our morals, and in our mindset or mentality. He says the fear of the Lord begins with a control of the tongue. Don't say evil things. Speak the truth. James endorses the same concept in James 3, 2 to 5, where he says, for we all stumble in many things. For if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, meaning someone who is mature or complete able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put, and this is an illustration, we put bits in horses' mouths so horses, horses' mouths so that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Further illustration, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Now, the context in James is that of a teacher, and he warns, not many, let not many of you become teachers, for theirs is a stricter judgment. But the truth, James records, is true for us all. We are all teaching others about Jesus when living in the fear of the Lord. And when someone cannot control their tongues, they are not able to control their morals or their mentality or mindset as well. And David says, you want your days to be good? Practice integrity with your words. Don't talk of evil or evil things. Don't let your mouth be a source of deceit. The implication being slander or bearing false witness against a neighbor. And the word evil in verse 13 means moral mischief. And there's the pairing of the mouth and morality. Bad, displeasing, distressing, hurtful, naughty, not pleasing are all the meanings of the word evil. Now listen, we are hearing of all kinds of things happening in our country and world today because of the shutdown. Things introduced or magnified suddenly and unexpectedly into billions of lives around the world. Right now, alcohol and drug abuse is at just incredible, rising at incredible rates as are domestic violence and suicide. And as Christians, we need to remember we have a distinct advantage in that the eyes of the Lord are on those who've been made righteous in Jesus Christ and his ears are open to their cries and he delivers them from all of their troubles. And again, we need to note that in order to be delivered from troubles, there need to be troubles in order for us to be delivered from them. There's a profundity for you. In a time of encampment, in those troubles, though we are guarded by the angels of the Lord, is true for all of us, and therefore we cannot let our tongues get away from us, we cannot let our morals slide, and we certainly cannot change our mindset about the goodness and the greatness and the authority of God. Now here's our takeaway this morning. Listen, trusting God limits our this life difficulties to things God has allowed. Trusting God limits our this life difficulties to things God has allowed. Now, God has allowed things in our lives that we've not uh, been happy about or with, but he's been with us through them. And it's true for all of us. No one wants to suffer the loss of a loved one. No one wants to see the catastrophic loss of business or 
finances or home or car, any of those things. No one wants to experience those things. And yet God has allowed this season globally to come to pass, yet he is with us through it all. And we have to remember that trusting God is proven by living according to his word. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and my commandments are not burdensome. And one thing we've yet to mention, because we needed to save it for right here, is that David going to Gath to hide from Saul was David's decision, not God's direction. David was being directed by fear, and now he contrasts his fear with the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 9, 10 through 12 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. Now is not the time to be scoffing at God. Now's not the time to be questioning why he hasn't stopped this whole thing or why he allowed it in the first place. There have been plagues throughout the course of human history, and there is a season of plagues unparalleled and unprecedented in the very near future, I believe, during the tribulation. But we need to remember that the Lord had been protecting David from Saul all along. Saul was a warrior himself. Saul was a soldier himself, and yet three times he tried to pin King David, who was playing soothing music for Saul, to the wall with his own javelin, and yet every time David escaped. The Lord had even allowed David to get in close enough proximity to Saul to kill him, and David had spared his life, saying he would not do harm to the Lord's anointed or the appointed uh, king of Israel. And so David had been through many things, yet the Lord had protected David. And in the midst of this difficult season, David made a poor decision. Now listen, don't compound what we're going through now by adding alcohol to the mix. You know, a lot of people are battling depression and discouragement. And listen, alcohol is a depressant. And you can't treat depression with a depressant. So don't compound the problems by taking something or doing something that opens the door for other things to happen in your life and in your home. Don't make the mistake of David by allowing your personal fears to drive you to poor behavior. And it's happening all around the world. And yet, we as Christians have the spirit of the living God in us. And the devil cannot make us do anything that the power of the Holy Spirit has given us strength over or to endure. Now, that tells us David's fear and having to act like a fool was David's doing. And thus, at this point in this psalm, David is teaching from a post-poor decision perspective. In other words, he's looking back and saying, these are the better choices in the midst of fearful times. He's telling us that living in obedience to God, trusting him through trials uh, means events like what he experienced can be avoided by leaving only things that God has allowed to come into your life, even in the form of grievous trials to come our way. Now, we all have made poor decisions and experienced the consequences of them, yet God was with us through them. That's why the psalmist would write in Psalm 139, even if I make my bed in hell, even there you are with me, even there your hand will guide me. Now, here's what we need to remember in times such as Eve. If God led us to it or allowed it, God is responsible to get us through it or out of it. 
And he will be with us through this whole thing. And the angels are encamped about us yet to this day. Now, it's not that the Lord abandons us when we make poor decisions. Somebody better say amen to that. Because he certainly doesn't. He is with us, as we said a moment ago. But we avoid the consequences, the this life consequences, of poor decisions when we trust God and obey him, even in times of trials and during the tribulations of life. Our equation again, trials plus trust equals triumph. And trust sometimes means staying put, including staying put mentally, staying put morally, and staying put emotionally. And let me just close this section with this. If you have trusted him with your eternal destiny, you can certainly trust him with today. He's not going to let you down or abandon you. Now, 18 to 22, we'll wrap up our time together. Where David says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Now, David doesn't minimize the realities of life and how life experiences can be heartbreaking and even painful. The word contrite means to be crushed in the sense of being ground to a powder. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, 28, Paul says this, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In other words, he spent the night out in the ocean or the sea in journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in perils in weariness and toil in sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches then in 818 of Romans he says for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now I want you to consider a parallel. David, dubbed by God himself as the man after his own heart, was on the run from Saul. He was living in caves. He was hiding in fields. As I said, Saul had attempted to pin him to the wall with his javelin at least three times. He was betrayed by his friends. He was betrayed by his family. He was plotted against. He was lied to. He was lied about. He was cheated. He was mocked. Besides the other things, we could record a report from 2 Samuel uh, throughout the balance of the last half of that book. And yet David says, the Lord was near me through it all. He defended me from it all. The word saves can mean to defend. And though the list is long and the afflictions many and often, David said he delivered me out of them all. And then in verse 20, he draws a parallel of his own experience with that of the coming Messiah in that all of his bones were guarded and none of them were broken, which was uh, fulfilled by Jesus on the cross when they came 
to break the legs because it was a holy day coming up, the Passover, Jesus was already dead and not a bone of his was broken even as he gave up his spirit to the Father. Now he then highlights in verse 21 for the second time the contrasting experience of the wicked as he did in verse 16. The Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth, evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Now again, the contrast in verse 22, our PowerPoint verse for me, the Lord redeems the souls of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Now because the soul is mentioned, that tells us that the condemnation that is in view here is eternal condemnation. Now, I'm going to come in close here for the balance of our time today. Listen, there are people in places of power today who are evil. There are politicians today who are trying to play God and become the providers for the people. And they are exploiting this pandemic to further their progressive globalist agenda. What they're actually doing is laying the groundwork for the Antichrist and their efforts to employ contact tracers, digital identities and currencies and mandatory vaccines, which can allow for the implanting of a quantum dot on your skin to prove whether or not you've been vaccinated and also to contain your personal records and financial information. Now, these are the same people today who demand the rights of those who have entered our country illegally, yet they deny the rights of the unborn child's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They seek to redefine gender today when God said there's only two. They seek to redefine marriage today when God said it's between one man and one woman. And in Romans 1, 28 to 32, Paul says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being, full, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who... Knowing the righteous judgment of God, and by the way, God is just and is righteous, is just, his judgment is just as well and righteous, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now tune in, don't turn your ears off. Some who promote and protect abortion and other acts prohibited by God say they are Christians, which is neither true nor possible. You cannot separate Christianity from the acknowledgement that God's word is divine authority and therefore the single defining source of all things moral and spiritual. Now, our governor here in California is against many of the things that the church stands for and therefore, according to what David said, the Lord is against him. Well, listen close. Proverbs 24, 16 to 22 says, A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Now, here's where we need to tune in. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. Now, 
Here's where all this has been leading. Our prayer for Gavin Newsom should not be, Lord, get him. Our prayer should be, Lord, save him. And the fact is, for those who within the church that have an anti-Trump mindset, the same goes for you too. Your prayer for the president should not be, Lord, get him. Your prayer for the president should be, the Lord, save him if he hasn't made a commitment to you as of yet. And there's divided opinions on that particular issue, though he's very favorable to the evangelical church. Why? Because the condemnation that awaits the wicked and evildoers is more severe than our minds could ever imagine. Now, some would say, well, the Psalms tell us that David was praying for victory and the defeat of his enemies, and David was praying as a national leader, and as a national leader, he ought to be praying for victories. He ought not to be praying, Lord, help our enemies have victory over us. That would be foolish, and that would be uh, a poor king indeed. Now listen, we should pray that abortion is overturned. We should pray that marriage is protected as God has ordained it. We should pray that gender confusion and all the things that have led up to it be reversed. But we should pray for the souls who are responsible for misleading the masses above all else. And this is how we can arrive at the triumph portion of our equation. Listen today. Trusting God must be practiced, not just preached. Trusting God must be practiced, not just preached. In other words, we need not to just say we trust God. We need to live like we trust God. Now, Listen closely. I am all for the church being politically active. Not only do I believe we should be, I believe we must be. We need to vote. We need to make our voices heard. We need to take action on behalf of our beloved country and cities and communities that we live in. And as we do, we need to remember that the church is the one group to whom God has entrusted the communication of his gospel message of salvation. Now listen, if we allow our politics to become primary, we have left the world without a means through which to hear the message that can save their soul. And in such a time as this, the things happening today have moved many of us to anger and frustration. I'm frustrated with the things that are going on. I'm frustrated with preaching to an empty room. I want to see this room full. I want to see people coming to faith in Christ or being encouraged in Christ Jesus through his word. But I want you to hear me loud and clear, and I make no apology for this statement. We need to be more concerned about the Great Commission than the First Amendment. The Great Commission is what matters. And I've heard so many things said today, and I pray that our thinking is righted in times such as these. There are more people hearing the message of truth today because the church has had to go online than at any other point in human history. And I've heard some people say, well, that's good, but no, that's good, that's it. People are hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And listen, I don't like this any more than you do. I'd rather we were all together. I miss your faces. I miss your amens. I miss your singing. I miss you missing out on the wonderful worship we have here every time we are together. But listen, people are hearing about Jesus. People are hearing about Jesus all over the world. People are hearing to the tunes of millions and millions the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, 
I'll stand up for our First Amendment rights as well, but that is not primary. Primary is the Great Commission, people hearing about Jesus. And it isn't that we can't do both. But let me ask you, what is more important, standing up for our rights as Americans or rescuing those who are drawn towards death with the gospel? And I hope that your answer is the latter. And rescuing those who are drawn towards death includes the progressive liberal, includes those who we may view, and rightfully so, as our adversaries. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, we're told the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie told by the Antichrist during the tribulation, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now listen, there are people in the world today who have made their final decision about Jesus. And therefore, the truth of God's word is irrelevant to them, and they have become delusional, even to the point of instead of believing God's message, during the tribulation, they'll believe the devil's message. But here's the point. I don't know who they are, and neither do you. I can see actions that are clearly evil taking place today, but we need to remember Colossians 1, 20, 21 and 22 says, we were all enemies of God before we were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So just because someone is an enemy of the church today, an enemy of God today, I submit to you Paul the Apostle who was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, and yet he became the greatest preacher second to, only to Jesus Christ in the course of church history. So listen, it doesn't matter the adversarial position presented by another. They need Jesus and he can still save them. We don't know who's, who God is going to save. So our job is not to make that determination according to one's political affiliation or worldview, but to take the position of God who does know who's who. And God's position is this. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, a change of mind and life direction regarding God. Listen, trusting God cannot be, uh, must be practiced, not just preached. We cannot just say we know he's unwilling that any should perish. We need to live like he is unwilling that any should perish and that he has commissioned us to be the rescuers of those being drawn towards death. And listen, many of you out there, I'm sure, are struggling right now. Some are unsure of your immediate future and the outlook financially is bleak for you. Well, let me give you a little hint of one thing you can do right now. Tell somebody about Jesus. Because doing so requires the divine engagement of the Holy Spirit and opens the door to the possibility of saving a human soul. Now listen, that may not put money in the bank, but it will definitely boost your spirit and gain you rewards in heaven where you're going to be for a very, very long time through Christ Jesus the Lord. Now listen, we need to stand up in times such as these. There's no question about it. But we need to keep our priorities in order. The Great Commission first and above all else and everything is a distant second to that. We are here to win souls to Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel message. 
Now, whether they tell us we can or cannot, there may come a time where a religious group may say to us, as was said to the apostles in Acts chapter 5, we don't want you teaching in that man's name. And at that point in time, we need to obey God rather than men. But in the meantime, right now, trials plus trust is going to equal triumph in all of our lives. Do the math. It all adds up. You'll find the equation has the same quotient every time. Obey God even now in these days. And you too can come away with what David came away with. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Somebody say amen. And Father, we are grateful for this incredible chapter today. And I pray, Lord, over those uh, who are online, who may be struggling. Lord, those who have uh, become more, uh, more of a politician than a preacher in these last days, that we would put things back in the right order. Even as we stand up and uh, demand our own rights as American citizens and Christians and all the other things associated with that. But Lord, may our hearts and minds be forever knitted with your spirit, recognizing that our primary mission in life and everything else is such a far, far distant second is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To those, Lord, who are perishing, including those who are clearly adversaries of the church, adversaries of you, as we see so many times in scripture, Paul mentions the fact that there would be haters of God in the last days, people who have made their final decision regarding the person of Christ and have chose to reject him and move on through life and into eternity without him. But Lord, you're the only one that knows who those people are. And Lord, help us not to examine the words and actions of others and eliminate the possibility of them coming to know Christ. As we spoke of the example of Paul a few moments ago, a persecutor of the church. So Lord, I pray for Gavin Newsom. I pray he comes to know Jesus. I pray for Nancy Pelosi. I pray she comes to know Jesus. I pray for uh, Chuck Schumer, I pray that he comes to know Jesus. I pray for Adam Schiff, I pray that he comes to know Jesus. I pray for all of our senators and Congress people and mayors and governors and city council people and state senators. I pray they all come to know Jesus. And Lord, this will be a different country and we will face pandemics differently when more people know Christ as Savior and Lord. And help us, Lord, to be our, that to be our primary focus in the midst of all we're encountering now. And not be carried away by the emotions of the moment, but help us to control our tongue. Help us, therefore, to guard our morals and keep our mindset on things above and not on the earth below. So we thank you for the words of David. Thank you for telling us, as is not done in every psalm, but telling us the backstory to this one so we can see the magnitude of his statement. So we bless you. I pray for your people all around the world, Lord, suffering tribulation and persecution that we would remember in the midst of it all our primary mission in life and the reason you've left us on earth is to tell other people about Jesus we thank you for our time and your matchless word today we pray these things in Jesus name amen